Now my guest this morning has been having the most amazing life photographing some of the starriest faces of the late 20th century from Andy Warhol to John and Yoko, Gregory Peck to Jane Fonda, Anthony Quinn, Nora Ephron. It goes on and on and on and lots of beautiful work from her years and years spent in Ireland as well. The exhibition is called Wind Up. It's running in the City Assembly House on Dublin's South William Street. Good morning, Susan Wood. Good morning, Oliver. It's so nice to be on radio with you. Absolute pleasure here as well. So are you still working in photo- photographing? Well, in a way, you know, I'm, I've sort of uh, run out of uh, most most of the art directors who were wonderful and would give me assignments from for magazines that are now dead, New York Magazine and and so on, and even the ones that are alive. Those art directors are retired now. However, I am still working. I love photographing, and I love getting wonderful pictures of all these interesting people I meet. Um, Ireland, this trip, was so amazing. I was staying with Marina Guinness, who's a remarkable person and, and beautiful. And I just kept on taking pictures of her and her family, her friends. I went to a rock concert. I took pictures. I just loved to record the history of another period that's an amazing period that we're living in. Yeah, because one day it's going to be the glorious nostalgia we're going to be looking back upon. What is it like, still a working artist like yourself, it can sometimes seem odd that you've got your photographic exhibitions of something you've done in the past. How does looking back like this one make you feel? It makes me feel very joyous that I had encountered such remarkable people, whether they were famous or not. Taking pictures is that the way I do it is a joint effort. We both work at it. We both do things to try to, for me to catch some essence of them, some spirit, something that is a little bit more than their usual lookout at the world. I, I felt very good about it. I felt that the nostalgia was very, it was a very pleasant experience looking back. I think we have 600 images in the show, yeah. and there's some that have come out of the archive that I have, you know, never noticed or haven't looked at for so long that they're a surprise for me too. Wow, that's lovely to hear. When did you get your first camera? Do you remember that time in your life? I think I was 15 and I wanted a camera and I got a camera and it was one of those that you look down into. It was called an Argoflex. The first thing I did was a self-portrait. I didn't know quite how to go out in the world. And then I went on a trip with it at about uh, 16 my family took me to Europe along with the whole family. We were there for a long time. And uh, I got these wonderful pictures with the Argoflex. In the meantime, I had taken part in all of these competitions that we at the High School of Music and Art did with the Scholastic uh, program who gave awards and prizes and prize money. And I had a little supply of uh, money that I had won for my art. And I bought a Leica with it when we were in Germany. Mm-hmm. And I, I converted to that. But I would I began to take pictures of Europe and they were very exciting to me. And I, I thought, this is interesting. This is another art medium. I didn't see it so much as uh, grabbing snapshots of events, although that's what I was doing. But I saw it as I, I began to compose pictures and, and look at them from an art standard point of view. 
Uh, then you come home back to New York and it's in a, a period we really revere now, isn't it? It's seen as this golden period in New York and it's a type of New York we maybe we all search for every time we go there today. But you were there, you're a very visual person obviously with your camera. What was that New York of, of, of your era when you're starting out as a photographer like? Oh, it was sensational. Uh, first of all, now you have all these security guards. If you wanted to go to a magazine, you went up and there was a someone sitting behind a desk and all the offices of all the writers and editors were right behind the wall she was sitting in front of. It wasn't like you had to go to three different floors and go through security check. and uh, you, you could get in to see people. There were portfolio drop-off days, and that got me started. I dropped off my portfolio at at Vogue and, uh, and, and Harper's Bazaar. And the art directors had their secretaries call back and ask me to come in. And one of them, Harper's Bazaar, they, you know, I was in this famous, Art Brodovich was his name, art director's office. He was the great master of taste in New York at that time. And he looked at these tourist pictures I took. When I got there, he snapped his fingers and his assistant brought in this this big handful of papers and what it was was a layout for the magazine with a picture I had taken in St. Mark's Square, Venice, spread out across two pages. And it ran in the fall. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. And then when I a New York Magazine started, I went over there and I met the editor and, and I would uh, come in with, you know, five suggestions of stories. And usually they'd take one. And I, I built up a reputation with them. And I even wrote for them. I did a famous expose called Dr. Feelgood and brought that into line with uh, the whole idea of uh, doctors who were supposedly giving vitamins but were giving amphetamines. So I I just had, it was so open and they were so responsive and receptive. It was amazing. The opportunity arrives up then to be a stills photographer in the movie industry. Uh, Your father was wary of Hollywood, wasn't he? And he had concerns for you going in there. Well, uh, yes, I had a lot of concerns. You know, we heard all this bad stuff about Hollywood, and it all happened in two days. Howard Hawks and John Wayne were going to Africa to do a movie about catching animals. I think it was two weeks before they were to take off. Howard Hawks wanted someone on set who acted, had a female photographer as the lead, and he wanted someone who actually was a female photographer. And my father was very worried that Africa, you know, Hollywood is full of nepotism. It's full of these things of taking advantage of girls. Uh, You better get, you know, some money in advance and a round trip ticket and blah, blah, blah. Well, he was absolutely right. When I got to the, I did that. And when I got to Africa and the location in Tanzania, the another woman photographer was the girlfriend of Howard Hawks. The leading lady had a boyfriend who was a famous uh, uh, magazine photographer in Europe. And there was a lot of dirty tricks to keep me away from locations. But uh, I persevered and and managed to stay and did a very good job with it and got many movie jobs after that. At one of those movie jobs, your your notable and probably rose led to you rising to fame in this world is your on location yeah. shoot of Easy Rider, then the famous nineteen sixty nine road movie. Yeah, well, that again, I was sort of an accident. I was in California for Look magazine. Uh, a friend, Terry Southern, who's a writer, we I used to hang out at a particular restaurant bar called Casey's, 
and I became friends with a lot of writers. They said, oh, you have to go see Dennis Hopper's collection of uh, of pop art. He's got the most incredible collection. I know you're interested in art. Mm -hmm. And so he called up. Dennis said, fine, send her along. When I got there, he was walking out. You know, I, I called up and he was walking out of his house saying, I've just been thrown out, but Peter and I are working on, on the storyboard of Easy Ride. It's really important. As soon as we get that storyboard in, we can start shooting in New Orleans. It's coming up. So I said, come on down. We're just setting up an office. So I went down with them him, and met Peter and in the office. And I said, uh, look, why don't you, I think I can help you. Why don't you just talk to me, talk it to me, what you think it is. You know, don't worry about small detail, just just the location and what you think the action's going to be or which actor's going to be in it and just go through it scene by scene. She said, all right, we'll try it. And they started, I said, wait a second, have you got a tape recorder? They found a tape recorder. There was only one desk. I don't even think there was a, a, a few chairs in the place. They found a tape recorder. I, they kept on talking. Peter did most of the talking. And we played it afterwards. It took about an hour, an hour and a half or two. And it was now, though, about 9 or 10 o'clock. So oh, we're going to find a secretary to do to to type this. We could go right up to Birch Dider with it and get our money. It sounds good. So I said, don't worry about that. Just take the tape recording, present it, turn it on and play it for him. It's very good. And I will come back with the check. It's, and it's, sure enough, they did. So I was like a, like one of those little herding dogs that just herded them in the right yeah. direction. I'm very interested and, in your perspective as a young photographer on this, you know, iconic movie where you've got Dennis Hopper, Peter Fonda and Jack Nicholson at the very outset of their careers as well. Um, and did you have a sense that everyone was on their way into this magical future? Oh, I wasn't sure they had a future. Dennis was so difficult to work with. He was drinking, drugging. It's getting difficult. He could do everything very well. He could photograph. And so he was resentful that when anyone else was doing his what he could do so well, it was, it was very tough working with them for the period of time I did. And But I did feel that they had something going. They wanted to do it in the style of a way the Italians looked as though they just walked onto the street and found yeah. people and did a story. Yeah. It was very tricky, very difficult. I, I stayed a while on it. Around the same time, John and Yoko come into your life. Oh, yes. Well, that was wonderful. Uh, they, too, were a little bit reluctant. And I just tried to uh, uh, ease them into something. We we I first had photographed them uh, Yoko in a hospital. She was trying to, unfortunately, was beginning to have a, a miscarriage. And so she went into a hospital to try and prevent the miscarriage. She wanted yeah. that baby. But uh, and they didn't want anyone to disturb them. So I promised just to take 15 minutes, walk around, take the pictures, say not a word, which is exactly what I did. By the next time I met them, um, unfortunately, she di didn't hold the pregnancy, but I met them after that in the offices of Apple, and uh, they seemed a little reluctant. So I, I to start, and I really do things with the cooperation of my of my subjects. So I just said to them, you know, you, you look like you have other things on your mind, other duties or obligations. Uh, um, the writer and I, the writer is here only for a few days. I promised to take her shopping. Why don't we just 
forget trying to get started today and we'll go shopping and get that out of the way because she's leaving in a few days and then you can you can get done what seems to be on your mind you don't you seem a little reluctant to start mm -hmm. and john looked at me with surprise and then he said just a second and he went over to yoga whispered in her ear came back and said, can we come along? Oh. So the ice was broken. He came along. We got some incidental pictures of us all shopping. She needed some things. Nobody recognized them on the street. We just were normal people doing something. Hello. And the next day, everything just went along beautifully. Uh, the photograph you get with them eventually really shows them in love, doesn't it? Is that your abiding memory of your time with them? I felt they were. And it's very interesting. The writer and Yoko went to school. All of us went to Sarah Lawrence, but at different times. And Yoko and the writer, Betty Rollins, went at the same time. And somehow Betty and Yoko got off on a wrong foot. Ben, Yoko was cleaning out his food, his kitchen supplies and getting rid of sugar. And she offered some tea and Betty asked for sugar. As she passed the sugar, it spilled on the floor. Mm -hmm. Yoko got very quiet, but her, you know, the body language and the, the, the position of the mouth, that little thin line, she wasn't happy about it. <laughs> and the two of them had a little bit of a, you know, a kind of falling out, unsense falling out. And yeah. Betty didn't think so. She, she wrote an article that she, as the writer, she called them John and Yoko Inc. Like they were a corporation looking after their business. Okay. <laughs> I saw them as being in love. So my, my, my pictures, I think, have, have won the day. <laughs> uh, Susan, when you're photographing so many famous faces, how do you capture them? Do you have to try to shake off the perspective of their fame and reputation before you um, go for that snap that you really want to get? Well, what I do is I come in as a fellow working person who has their interests at heart. I mean, I think they like to get a quality photograph and they're used to professional people uh, doing a professional job with them and by a professional job, go, trying to help them do whatever it is we're doing. And what we're doing is trying to get the features looking good, the a sense of energy and a sense of them, of, of their spirit. And they know it. They they sense it in me and they, they sense when I'm, if I'm a little unhappy with something, I began to begin to move around in different ways. So, well, will you try standing over there? Or why don't we go down the street? Oh, let's break and have a cup. Wh whatever I'm doing. And they, they just try to, to cooperate. We, I, it's boring for them to hear me say, oh, I think you're so wonderful. You know, that's <laughs> yes, not... Of course. <laughs> I don't think one working person says that to another. You've got a, something to do and you often have limited time. Mm -hmm. So you try to get to it. <laughs> and and they're very cooperative. I want to so, finish up by bringing you back to Ireland. because, And we can't talk about your relationship with Ireland over the decades without um, your... You kept falling in love with Irish men, basically, didn't you? Well, I did. I married a few. <laughs> <laughs> You had. To, I, didn't, I didn't want to call them a collection of husbands, but you two Irish <laughs> husbands of three. Um, well, one was American. One was Irish Irish. Another was American Irish of a couple of generations, but nevertheless very tied into the Irish. And it's not just the men. The women are wonderful. Mm -hmm. They just are marvelous talkers, marvelous thinkers, uh, fun to be with. Uh, I just love Ireland. <laughs> so, and I had a wonderful trip this time. Uh, just wonderful people. Wonderful. And you've captured uh, Ireland a fair few times, haven't you? 
I've been there several times and I just love going there. Well, it's a fascinating Uh collection and there's no shortage of portraits and things to enjoy. Uh, The exhibition of Susan Wood's photographs open for visitors at the Irish Georgian Society on Dublin's South William Street and it runs until the 21st of July. It's quite a a landscape and history of your work, Susan Wood. I want to congratulate you and thank you for your time. And thank you for this lovely interview. Thank you. 51551 is the text. Good morning.